Welcome to the Soul Church Sunday Service Podcast. Thanks, Tim. I asked Tim to do the recording that Will asked me to do because I knew I was going to forget and get halfway through. Um, You're going to have to excuse me if uh, occasionally I stop. Uh, My sermon was deleted by my computer at about four o'clock this afternoon and involved an emergency redo. Uh, So so please bear with me. Um, So I'm definitely going to pray that God talks uh, because we need him to, don't we? We need to hear his voice. So Heavenly Father, please speak to us now. Um, We know that you're in control of everything. Um, All of today was planned from the very beginning. So please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is the third in a ludicrously long-running sermon series, which is obviously when Will's away, that's when we get to do it. Um, So this is on the early church martyrs. This is number three. Um, So you might think, well, how on earth do people who died about, well, give or take 2,000 years ago have any relevance? But the question is, what did they believe? What did they believe that allowed them to go through seemingly intolerable suffering? So the first person we looked at was a guy called Polycarp, if you remember. It's a classic name. Um, And he said... The flames you threaten me with, because they said we're going to burn you to death if you don't renounce Jesus. And he said, the flames you, re- you threaten me with are nothing compared to the flames that I've been rescued from. So he said, you could threaten me with all you like, but I've been rescued from sin, from death, and from hell. And he can't be being rescued from that. So that was Polycarp. So he knew what he'd been rescued from. And then we looked at Perpetua, this young mother who was put in prison for, um, for being a Christian. And they, her dad tried to persuade her, uh, to turn her for, for her to turn her back on Jesus. And she said she knew who she was. She was a Christian and nothing could change that. And we saw that being a Christian isn't just about saying something. It's about being completely transformed. That Jesus gives you new life, new birth. That's who she was. So she knew who she was. Polycarp knew what he'd been rescued from. And this week, we're going to, this time, we're going to have a look at two martyrs. So Sophie's going to put them up on the screen. There they are, legends. There, there's their Facebook profile pictures. So... We've got Ignatius on the right, uh, well, the left, my right, that guy over there. So that's Ignatius. And then we've got Polycarp again, who's the one, I think it's, I don't know what he's holding in his hand, it could be a tambourine, might be a bit early for those. But that's Polycarp, it's just to have an idea who these guys were. And when they threatened to burn Polycarp, he said, 80 years and six, he could have just said 86, but 80 years and six, I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. That's what he said about Jesus. 80 years and six, I have served him, but he has done me no wrong. And they threatened, and in fact did throw Ignatius to the lions, so he was eaten alive in the Colosseum. And he, when they threatened him, he said, Now do I begin to be a disciple of Christ and care for nothing in this world, so I may find Christ. 
That's what he, I'll read that again. Now do I begin. So he sees he's, he's going to be martyred. He says, now do I begin to be a disciple of Christ and care for nothing in this world so I may find Jesus. So the question we're going to look at today, it's quite a big question, is who is Jesus? Who is this person? What, what, is, a, what is it about him that is so different? Because you look at the religions of the world, and some people sort of say, ah, oh, you know, I'm a bit agnostic. There's loads of religions. Is one really true? I don't know. Maybe they're all true. Maybe they're all a load of rubbish. What is it about Jesus that these guys go, go to the lions for, literally? Or they're burned alive, or they're, you know, Perpetua actually was thrown to the lions, but they refused to eat her, so they just had to stab her to death instead. That's how it worked. So what is it about Jesus that they can go through these things? You know, and Islam, so uh, Muslims would say, you know, you, you've got to do good stuff to get to God. Right? You've got to please him. So, you know, and if you've done more good stuff than bad stuff, maybe God will let you in to, to paradise. You know, so giving to the poor, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. You know, going on a pilgrimage, all of these things, doing Ramadan, they'll say, if you do those things and you don't do many bad things, he might let you in. Buddhism, I remember I, a friend of mine invited me to uh, speak at a conference out in Sri Lanka. Um, it's a hard life. And um, I went to, went to Sri Lanka and he took me to the holy Buddhist city of Kandy. And to this, there's a temple in Kandy which has got a gold-plated roof. And, it, and it's meant to be like, it's, it's, it's meant to have a tooth, one tooth of the Buddha, sort of in a shrine at the centre of it. And I said to him, well, what, what is, what's Buddhism all about? You know, do you want to tell me? And he was like, well, the thing is, there is no God. And I said, like, okay, that's an interesting start. Um, and he said, uh, there's no one to pray to. You can pray to Buddha if you want, but there's not a lot of point because he's dead. Um, I said, okay, so there's no God and there's nobody to pray to. He said, you just got to do your best, you know. And if you do all right, you'll, get, go, you'll go up the reincarnation scale, if you like. And it's like. So when you go through trauma and disaster and difficulty and you blow it and you mess your life up, is there anyone to help you? And he goes, no, nah, you just got to sort it out yourself. So flipping heck, that's really depressing. So why is, it so, why is Christianity so different? Why is Jesus so different? And if you talk to Christians and you talk to one of these boys, they would say Jesus is the hero of the Bible. I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but he's the hero of the Bible. He is what the entire Bible is about. You know, you know uh, if you open up a book, you know, like Harry Potter or something, there's a little dedication at the start, isn't there, you know, to this person who really helped me, blah, blah, blah. If the Bible had a dedication at the start, it would probably be something like Mark 9, 7, which is, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. So if you're doing RBT, that's probably quite, you could just, whenever you read a passage, you go, right, this is basically saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. It's all about Jesus. These martyrs and all Christians will say that Jesus is this hero that the Bible is all about. He's the hero of their faith. He's the hero of the entire universe. There is no one 
greater. That's what we're going to look at. And sort of heroes and superheroes are like mega popular, aren't they? Especially with Marvel and, and uh, not so much DC because it's really depressing and boring. But Marvel, like controversial, but Marvel, you know, it's really, these superheroes are so popular. I don't know what people's favourite superhero is. I don't know who, I can never remember who knows this. I know Boaz in, in Mount is Spider-Man because that's what he's always dressed as. I, I don't know if any of you boys have got a personal favourite. Pete, any personal favourite superheroes or, or Theo? Batman. Ba- Batman. It's not really a superhero, he's just really rich. Uh, Pete, any thoughts? No, he's not going to pick one. Reed loves Iron Man for Reed. Black Panther, a controversial choice. Superman. Superman. I've got to mention Superman in a second, would you believe? So, and all these superheroes have a similar plot line, right? So, they ha- it's often they have a personal trauma. There's an underlying trauma, isn't there? So, Batman loses his parents. Spider-Man loses his uncle. Um, Iron Man loses his dad and just becomes generally obnoxious. Um, you know, so all of the, loads of them have this personal trauma. And then they discover their powers, apart from Batman, because his power is just being really rich and having cool stuff. And Iron Man is the same. I agree, I agree. Um, so they discover their powers, and then there's a big test of character. And then, then they face this impossible enemy, don't they? There's this, there's this huge enemy, and they're still trying to learn their powers, especially if you watch Shazam, which is a bit odd, but uh, he's really struggling. And then somehow they are victorious, but there's a personal cost. That, that's essentially the superhero story. You know, I, 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 it's, a, it's probably okay for a plot spoiler of Endgame. You know, it was so long ago. You know, there's huge personal sacrifices in the end. It's probably a bit too early for Reese. She still finds it really difficult when Iron Man clicks his fingers and all of that. So there's, there's this massive sacrifice. So we're going to have a look at Jesus and see why is Jesus this hero of the Bible that in fact all these superheroes just point towards. They're just a a sort of finger pointing in the direction of of Jesus. So if you've got your Bible open, you don't have to, but verse 6 says about Jesus, who being very nature God. That's how it starts. Jesus is God. No questions. No questions. The Bible just says that's just the way it is. Jesus is God. He was eternally God. He's always been God. He's always been there. He created everything, everything you can see, everything you can't see, the entire universe, the massive galaxies, all of those things, all the amazing sort of dust clouds and nebulas and all that kind of thing, right down to the subatomic stuff that CERN are getting very excited about again, trying to find out more of what God has done. That's who he is. He's made you and me he is God. Okay, so Jesus is God. You've probably heard that many times. How does that make any difference, though? It's not really different to perhaps some other religious figures that you hear about. You know, how is it different? Because you are still left dealing with your stuff, dealing with your problems and your life. And is, does it mean that Jesus, you know, he's God? Is he just like an absentee landlord? You know, it's just... He's just not, he's, he's not helping, he's far away, he made the world and he just laughs at you and your struggles. That's the question. Is that really what Jesus is? And then we read verse 7, that says, But made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant and was found in likeness 
as a man. Jesus, the God of the universe, becomes a man. That's who he is. So the, the eternal God who lived with his Father and the Spirit as one God for eternity becomes a man. Yeah, that's what happens. And not a man of privilege to a rich or powerful family. No, he becomes a displaced refugee. That's who Jesus becomes. He becomes homeless. Jesus, he's born in a backwater town. I'm not making any comparisons to Neath, but he was born in a backwater town that nobody really cared about, to a working-class family that nobody really cared about. He was laughed at. He was rejected. He was misunderstood. Do you feel that way? Laughed at, rejected, misunderstood, messed up. The verse, that verse when it says he became nothing, right? I, the actual translation of that is nothing and of no reputation. Nothing and of no reputation. God comes to earth and throws aside his reputation. Jesus, who makes the entire universe, becomes a laughing stock. People laughed at him. Oh, this Jesus, even his family and the people he grew up with. Do you remember there's that bit where they go, oh, this is the carpenter's son, isn't it? What a joker. Like, this is who Jesus steps down to be. Nothing. No reputation. It's amazing, isn't it? Why does he do that? For you. For you. So he can come alongside you in your mess, your misery, your brokenness. And perhaps you're feeling that today. Whether you're a Christian or not, this week's been a mess. You're just miserable. You feel just broken. You're like, oh man, I'm just, nothing is going right. He can say, Jesus can come alongside you and say, I know. I understand. I really do understand more than anyone else in this world could ever understand. I get your mess. It's okay. Jesus stands at the grave of a friend and cries. He suffers the loss of Joseph. If you grieve, the God of the universe comes alongside and says, yes, I know, and I want to help. This is not a faraway God who doesn't care about you, is it? This is God coming to earth. So is that it? No. Next, Jesus does something unimaginable. If you thought coming to earth as a man was unimaginable. He does this. He's the author of life, remember? That's what the Bible says. He's the author of life. All life is found in him. All the life you could imagine. He is eternal. And then we look at verse 8. It says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Death on a cross. God dies. Now, you may have heard that message a hundred times, a thousand times before. But just listen one more time. God dies. You see, unlike all of the superheroes we looked at earlier, who find their powers or discover their powers, Jesus doesn't gain powers. He puts them all aside. For you. 
for you. Why? For your sin and your shame. For my sin and my shame and my guilt. Why is the world as it is? Why is there suffering and pain and grief and death? Why do you feel the agonies that you feel? Because humanity has just turned its back on Jesus. It's turned its back on God, rejected him. And when you reject the author of life, it, it brings death, doesn't it? I'm not saying that your loss and your grief are your own fault. I'm saying that humanity has rejected God. Our sin brings death. The death and guilt and shame we feel inside in those dark moments when we were on, when we're on our own. Those moments, just put aside for a minute, I just want you to put aside the bravado and the attitude and the, you know, I can get through this. I want you to think about the, those moments when you're on your own and you're confronted with the awful things that we have all done. When you're in the darkness and you want to hide away and you cannot bear it and you don't know what to do and it hurts and you think, I can't cope with this. Jesus dies for that. Now you've got, you've got to think about these things and maybe make yourself a bit vulnerable and go, wow. Jesus dies for that. He comes and he says, I love you. I understand you. And I'm going to take your punishment for you. There's a true story I'm going to tell you about somebody I've met. I'm going to call him John. I might have said this before. So John married the woman he loved. What he didn't realise was the woman he loved had an addiction to prescription painkillers. And it was actually her father, who was a doctor, who was supplying her with them, illegally, with prescriptions. John worked in the GP surgery, where, uh, you know, in doing finance and stuff. Uh, and the police found out about that those prescriptions happening. And, but the police couldn't work out who was it who was doing the prescriptions. Was it the dad? Was it the daughter? Or was it John faking the prescriptions, faking the signature? So it went to court, and the jury was there to decide which one of them had done it. And John and his wife had two children. And they were young. And the, their barrister came to them as the trial was going on and said, look, you need to understand that no one, no one is going to believe that a well-respected doctor was giving, illegally giving prescription painkillers to his daughter. So they're going to think it's one of you two. And they're going to send you both. They're going to convict you both. Unless one of you owns up as to what was going on. So John knew it wasn't him. But he looked at his wife and his two children and he couldn't bear the idea of his kids being taken away. And he said, he put his hand up, he said, 
I'll say I did it. So he stood in court, and he said, yeah, I'm guilty, I did it. And they thought, this barrister had said, oh, it's, you know, these, these tablets are worth pennies, really. It'll just be a fine or something, you know. Sent down for two years. That's how long John went down for. He sacrificed two years of his life. He sacrificed himself, his reputation, his very life for his wife and children. Jesus sacrifices everything. Everything. He throws aside his reputation. He throws aside all his life. He throws aside eternity and does it for you. And that is love. Jesus has done that for the whole world. Why are the martyrs willing to die for Jesus? Because they know and they knew who he is. See, all these other religions, it's just about how you can climb the greasy pole to God. What Jesus does is God coming to you. And that's the final point of the passage that we had read. Jesus, you remember that bit that says, Jesus is given the name above all other names? Which is really like grand, isn't it? Like, they're at the name of Jesus. It's interesting because it says he's given the name above all other names. And it says they're at the name of Jesus. What does Jesus mean? What is, his, what is this name that is given to him? Is it God tells you to do something? That's what it translates as. God demands something of you. No, Jesus just means God saves, doesn't it? God saves. Jesus' name says it all. God saves. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus the martyrs held on to and went through pain and death and being burned, burned in a fire or fed to the animals or, you know, cut down with the sword? Who is Jesus? God saving humanity. God loving you. God having compassion on you. God rescuing you. You see, he can satisfy all of your heart's issues and desires and problems. He can fix all of that. That urge to go, I have to find something that satisfies. And I move from one thing to another to another. One person to another to another. Whatever it is that you do, Jesus comes and he can save you from that pointless quest. That meaningless search for something that when you're actually looking for him. All you have to do is accept that you need him. That you need saving. Polycarp and Ignatius knew Jesus. And you can know him. All you have to do is call out to him. He's already come for you. He's already come to earth and done it all. And it may be that you're looking going, yeah, but I've really, I've really messed up and I can't face what I've done. And Jesus says, well, I've taken it anyway. All you have to do is hear that and believe it. Put aside the sort of 
force field you put around yourself. This, you know, that protecting yourself from the pain and just say, maybe you can actually satisfy me and trust in Jesus. We sang it near the start, didn't we? It was amazing having that. I didn't know that was planned. But the summary of everything that that passage in Philippians is, everything these guys believe, holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross, he took my sin. By his grace, I live again. Believe that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. That we can be changed, that we can be clean, that we can be new. Please help us to see it again this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For where are your faces we come? Children go back to school, rest of the day off, you go back to work, go back to work. And all bless. Thank you for joining us for the Soul Church Sunday podcast. We hope it helped you and blessed you. We'd love to see you on a Sunday, 6pm in Neath Town Hall.